I was studying Chinese pole star astrology simply to understand space and time. I always had more of an interest in in medicine because silly me, I thought that medicine and astrology were distinct, but they're not really. <laughs> Now I understand that. So I studied just to try to understand what the body was, like how does the body, what is the body but a recording of time, but a recording of qi. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Patients frequently ask me, what did you put on those needles? They think that surely I've injected something into their body because they experience something significant while resting on the treatment table. They're always surprised to hear that there is nothing on the needle, that the needle does nothing more than call forth a capacity that they didn't know they had. That nothing from the outside was introduced, but rather something unseen and unnamed was stirred. I assure my patients that what they are feeling is something they can take with them because it is them. This is news to many, that they have a capacity for which they were unaware, that there is something latent or slumbering that is trustworthy, even if it cannot be named. It's a surprise to consider that the body is not suspect and broken, but rather capable in ways unimagined, that they might be bigger than the story that they've been telling themselves, that beyond their understanding is something reliable, untamed, and perhaps untamable. I wouldn't call it shadow material. It's more like undeveloped potential. There's something about it that's potent. It's curious for patients to feel connected to something that they don't usually consider as themselves, and yet is a part of the bedrock of who they are. And especially as through most of our lives, we've been told how the body is unreliable and untrustworthy. And we learn to diminish what we have and instead focus on what we don't as we hypnotically watch commercial after commercial, pointing out our brokenness and our flaws. Acupuncture has a way of reconnecting us with our capacity, the potential in the jing, the courage of the gallbladder, the discernment and capacity of the motion through metal that sifts value from dross. Acupuncture doesn't add anything. It simply calls forth latent capacity, and I suspect It touches something primordial that we can't grasp with the thinking mind, but we can attend to from the deep, connective water of our being. Everyone has particular talents, places in life where it seems they have a VIP pass. And then there are those areas of life where it seems we're out of phase. We can't quite catch a break. We go from one challenge to another and still easily lose our footing. We might feel gifted or we might feel broken, but so often our challenges are tied to the lessons that we most need to learn. And as a patient of mine likes to say, school's always in session. In this Chinese New Year conversation with Anne Sheldon Cruitt, we discuss pole star astrology and how it can be helpful in glimpsing the longer waves of influence That run through our lives, how it can be useful in giving some perspective to our patients' conditions and their challenges. 
And finally, we talk about this upcoming Yang Water Tiger Year. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. 
And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one month grace period on your new Jane account. Of course, the stars are not destiny, but they tell a story that can help us to understand destiny and our free will. Let's get into this conversation now with Anne. Anne Shelton Crude, welcome to Geological. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. You have your hands to some degree, actually, I guess a fair degree, into this thing called pole star astrology. And I don't know that much about the Chinese astrology methods. I know that I spent some time in Taiwan. There's all kinds of fortune tellers there that will be around temples and using all kinds of really interesting uh, modes of helping you swan ming, check your fortune. And I also know that you have worked quite a bit with a fellow who's no longer with us, uh, Liu Ming, who's an interesting character, and, and I'd like to speak with you about him as well. So I'd love to begin where I often begin with these conversations, which is, how did a nice girl like you from Virginia get involved with Chinese medicine? <laughs> Such a good question. Yeah. Chinese medicine and traditional medicine of Asia was flirting with me from very, very early in my life. <laughs> I can remember being absolutely fascinated by the, you know, Asian art section of the local museum mm. that I would frequent as though my mother would take me to as a child and just really could tell there was something different about the viewpoint there that I didn't have access to learning anything about really until I left home and went off to college and went away and got to explore some, some other things. Um, and then Chinese medicine in specific became interesting to me uh, when I was living in New York City. I was there. It was, I just graduated from college when 9-11 happened and I lived in the East Village quite close. And I was actually even closer when it happened in the West Village. And I saw a lot of things that day. Um, and I was very close to St. Vincent's Hospital and I could look down from the apartment and I could see the, the line of donors, people wanting to donate blood and help, uh, wrapping, literally wrapping around the block as people tried to find a way to help out in the midst of an ongoing devastating situation. And in that time, the power went out, phones went out, and I, it just became very clear to me that um, industrial medicine, we needed to make sure that as a society that we don't have all our eggs in one basket, that industrial medicine has a lot to offer, but it also presents a lot of problems. And at that time, I was an avid practitioner of yoga, I was studying Southeast Asian philosophy, Ayurveda a little bit. Um, but mostly just practicing yoga for myself because it felt good. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and when this happened, I thought, okay, we need to find out how to preserve the traditional ways of of knowing our world, because if we lose the mechanistic ways of understanding our world, then we will be quite lost. I love that phrase, preserving the traditional ways of knowing our world. It just kind of lands for me. In, in so many ways. And it sounds like 911 for you was truly 
a catalytic moment. It was funny. That day, I'd gotten back doing some global travel right after I'd graduated from college. And I literally was holding my resume in my hand and I was about to hit the town to figure out what I was going to do after college that morning when I heard the airplane fly right over the apartment building. I was saying goodbye and about to head out the door and hit the town and (laughs) decide to figure out who I was going to become (laughs) or what I was going to do. Couldn't like kick around Europe anymore. Couldn't delay. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, it was a tragedy, of course, and it was very difficult to watch that many people die with my bare eyes. But it also, well, I mean, back to the subject of pole star astrology, I'm a horse. And so in challenging circumstances, it's like, okay, what do we do? What's the work that's required here? You know, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I think for my character, it was um, not too destabilizing. It was a, a call to action. So in a catastrophe, you want to have some horses around. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, when I think of astrology, I often think of destiny. It's kind of a loaded word, destiny, you know, such a big thing. But, you know, we talk about it some in our work. And the various astrologies, I think, all talk a bit about destiny. Like, what do you got and where might you take it to? Something like that. I'd love to know more about where pole star astrology comes from. How does it fit into our world of, I'm going to say, Chinese philosophical thought and Chinese medicine for that matter? Because again, when I was in Taiwan, there were doctors that would look at a person's chart as part of understanding who they were. Yeah, like where does it come from? Where does it fit in that pantheon of thought? that we call Chinese philosophy, Chinese medicine. Oh, destiny, right. (laughs) Destiny. (laughs) Destiny is an interesting concept because it's so rejected in the West. And I think that that's because it's a misunderstanding. It's almost a mistranslation of what's really meant by the Chinese. So Chinese pole star astrology is a Song Dynasty technology that measures fate, destiny, but not only fate, also free will, and also character. So those are the three subject matters that we're really looking at when we're talking about Polestar. Fate, free will, and character. Correct. Mm. So to the normal contemporary Westerner, they may hear fate and free will, and there's going to be like a the sound of a crash in the brain mm-hmm. <laughs> because it doesn't really make sense that fate and free will can coexist. Aren't they mutually exclusive? But across Southeast Asia and not Southeast Asia, but Asia and on the whole, most of the philosophies recognize fate and free will as not being mutually exclusive, that we have a portion of fate and we also have free will. We can bootstrap ourselves in certain realms of our life and we have power to make decisions in some aspects of our life and we're very fated in others. This can feel good like oh, I'm born into a family of artists and I'm an amazing artist. Or it can feel difficult, like, oh, I'm born into a family of a specific genetic disease and I have to work very hard to prevent myself from getting that genetic disease. But that right there, the work very hard to not 
that right there is the interaction between fate and free will, right? Mm-hmm. Same with the positive example. If you're born into a family of artists, you still have to like sit down and put in the hours with the violin and do all the scale, get to just miraculously do it, although you may have a proclivity. You really don't. My wife's niece li- lives with us. She's from China. Mm. So she's kind of like bicultural. She surprises me all the time with what she has to say. And we were talking, this was a, a few years ago, we were talking about talent. And she said, yeah, you know, when you've got talent, you have to work harder. And I'm like, okay, let's just check your English here. And asked her to explain. And she goes, yeah, well, if you have talent, because you're good at something, you're going to lean on that talent. And that's why you have to work harder, because otherwise your talent will not come all the way out. If you lean on that, that thing you were just talking about, that you're kind of good at it naturally, then it won't express itself all the way. That's an interesting view. So Chinese pole star astrology shows us where we have a strong capacity to push into something Mm. and apply a like a, a young activity kind of approach. Some of half of the stars are young in nature, half of the stars are yin in nature. But then there are other areas where you don't really have to push, <laughs> where, mm. where you really can trust and sit back. In our grind culture, it's a little hard for us to respect or recognize that yin power. It's often viewed as manipulative or why did that person get that leg up when in fact that can be an expression of, of yin power that the person was born with through ancestral causes or through past life causes. You know, the language changes in Polestar because there's an influence of Confucianism, Taoism, Buddhism. So Chinese view resists this didactic kind of teaching of, well, this is what reality is. Chinese view has this idea of, okay, well, well, this works from this tradition. Let's use it. Let's keep it. Mm -hmm. And that works from this tradition. Let's use it. Let's keep it. We don't know how they all fit together perfectly. It's not always neat and tidy. And the Song Dynasty court environment was so open-minded. It was so well-resourced that they were really able to bring in, they had travelers from all over the world. It must have been something like Paris in the 1920s or mm-hmm. New York City in the 80s or I don't know, you know, <laughs> where there's like all kinds of people from all over the place checking it out and sharing what it's like where they're from. And China just sort of absorbed it all and took what worked. And that's how Chinese pole star astrology developed. It uses the math from the Persian and the Indian traditions. It maintain remnants of older tribal traditions. Some of the constellations Ken Ming used to teach could no longer even, or can no longer be seen in the night sky. They're so old. This tradition rests on such ancient traditions. And yet in terms of the astrology that we have today, it's a, it's a newer one, Song Dynasty. You know, that's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. It's pretty recent. But then they reformulated it to reflect this uniquely Chinese worldview. So it's secular and it's spiritual. You know, it recognizes the six realms of being, but it roots it in the human experience. It recognizes the importance of rites and rituals, acknowledging gods and ghosts and demons and et cetera. But it's interested in our human experience and our community and our ancestors, our placement within our ancestral stream. 
and our particular unique representation of that for our family. I'm really curious about what you just said there with the ancestral energy and like where we are in our ancestral stream. Especially here in the West, we like to think, oh, I'm an individual. I'm, you know, I've got a family, but yeah, you know, whatever. We'll often look at the people of Asia and, and especially watch some of the rituals with what we, I think, often pejoratively call ancestor worship and miss that there is something that comes down through the people who have lived that comes down to us. There's something of their experience that. Had it not been successful for them, we wouldn't be here. And so I'm curious to know more about that aspect of it. Well, clearly the ancestors are very important in Chinese thought, right? Mm. And when we look at our bodies, here we are, we're, we're Chinese medicine practitioners at root, right? So we're working with our body-mind total experience. And like, where can we point to in our bodies and our experience and, and know you know, where can we point to that's not coming from our parents? And yet, one of the things that Polestar can can help us with is this conundrum of, but aren't I an individual? What if I don't have strong fate to be living with my family or having strong fate with my parents, with my siblings? And the Chinese Polestar chart can really show us where those ancestral gifts might be rooted in other houses. So for some people, if you have a really strong house of career, for instance, mm-hmm. when the old name for the house of career is actually the travel palace, not the career palace, the travel palace. There's so many translation issues that come up. And you know, I was fortunate when I studied with Blooming to watch him design and redesign and and redesign i can think of like at least twice (laughs) where he would play with what he wanted to call the stars how he wanted to translate the stars and even how he wanted to translate the houses themselves so a chart that would have been inauspicious in the old world in china which would have maybe an exalted career palace would be very auspicious today it would mean oh look at this chart and a mother would be very proud. My child's going to fly all over the world and, you know, work in all these different places and see all these different people and all these ways of life and get to go far from home, which in the old world, that's an exile chart. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's an ancestral curse, right? So our context is very important. I think that's one of the things that Liu Ming was very deft at was understanding how to translate for Westerners, how to really appreciate and recognize the Western experience. But I think he also appreciated a broad scope of the Chinese view and could even see its connection from way back in antiquity all the way up to more cosmopolitan Chinese ways. He could see that through line and he could help bridge and interpret those two. So it's not an obstacle, the ancestor thing. To answer your question, it's, it's not an obstacle. And sometimes our ancestral, our karmic issues Mm-hmm. with our family come out in the public sphere. Some people's charts, they've got tons of energy on the more community side, career side, property, palace, assistants, bosses, work in the world. And other people are working out their karma in the home sphere, on the home side of the chart, family, marriage, children, et cetera. 
So it's almost sometimes Ming would say that we're working with our ancestors, but they're sort of our ancestors are possessing. Let's see, how would he say it? Sometimes Ming would say our ancestors are almost possessing those people who are not our family. So we're working with our family even when we're not. This sounds a little bit like modern family systems psychotherapy. Hmm. A little bit. You know, this idea that there are certain patterns that we inherit from our family. They truly come through our family line and the ways that relationships were worked out or not worked out over time. That comes down to us as a kind of inheritance. And then we recreate those relationships out in the world. Mm-hmm. It's curious to see how these different ways of looking at the world are pointing toward a similar, I don't want to call it an energetic dynamic, but kind of a, a uh, actually I want to come back to Ming. I want to come back to life. I want to come back to destiny. That there's I mean, I suspect when you talk about destiny, you're talking about the character Ming. Is that correct? It's often translated that way. It is. I have a, I'm not going to be great with translating Ming for you (laughs) right now, but I'm not sure is going to be the answer to that one. Okay. Well, I mean, fair enough. I have that somewhere. I just, I can't speak on that in this moment. Okay. I mean, Ming, I think is one of these really curious characters. Because we can look at it as something as simple as life. It means life in a certain way. But it, mm-hmm. but it also is like life, as I understand it, my Chinese is not great, okay? But it has that aspect of not just life, but like what you do with it and what it does to you and where you might go through this journey from you know, birth to death. It, it, you know, it has that kind of a flavor. Well, that larger flavor of where destiny takes us is one of the things that I, I think relates to Polestar's application of clinical practice. Mm. Because with an understanding of where our life has emphasis, I like to talk about it with my clients as sort of like we have this big pizza <laughs> and like our chart is this pizza and the character part, that's sort of the, the animals, the Chinese restaurant menu. Mm. Mm-hmm placemat when you go to the Chinese yes. restaurant, right? <laughs> With all the animals on it. That part is the character. And so the, the character that you are dictates the way that you're going to meet that destiny. So say your life is a pizza. Well, the crust, is it gluten-free or is it wheat? <laughs> Does it have a marinara sauce or a white sauce? What's happening with that? Like underneath all of the slices, that's the character, you know? So a, a dragon is going to meet their destiny in a much different way than like a rabbit, okay? Or a snake, barnyard animals. (laughs) Then if you look at all of the slices, there might be a disproportionate amount of pepperoni over on this slice, and there might be almost no pepperoni on the other ones or on some over here. And so this shows us where we have more fate and more free will. And so when we run into an issue in our lives, when we have something going on, say an illness, it's very empowering to know where your power is, to look at the life and go, okay, did I go straight for the piece with all the pepperoni that looked delicious when I first opened the box? Or did I think, I don't know, maybe I should have ordered Chinese. I, you know, do we like try to change our chart? And do we try to like add peppers and onions and olives over on another piece over here, which is fine that you can express your freedom, but 
you know, that's what free will is. You can eat that slice that has less pepperoni, but if you go toward where that pepperoni is, it'll really help. So when is a headache a headache? When is it a medical condition? Versus when is it a karmic disturbance? When is it a disrelationship to time, disrelationship to the ancestors? These are all words for the same thing. So that means that the way out of illness might not be in the doctor's office. The way out of illness for some people might be to go ahead and engage deeper, like go ahead and start school, move, open the business, start the family, marry the partner, whatever it is. Where And I see a lot of people who have very serious illness come into clinic and, and they just want to stop everything until they feel okay and then try to start their lives. It's like they're trying to, to stop life, heal, and then start life. And again, grind culture, sometimes we do need to slow down. But other times it means sometimes that headache, if you're giving the right headache herbs and the right headache herbs aren't working, then it's a fate problem masquerading as a medical condition. <laughs> yeah. So Polestar can show you, okay, call your brother. <laughs> That's where your power is. They're going to have an answer for you. Oh, but I don't like to talk to my brother. Well, <laughs> you <know>? exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love this idea. And you alluded to this earlier, that there are some people, it looks so unfair. Like things go so easy for them. They get these jobs. They got these positions. There's certain things. It just comes to them. You were alluding to this earlier. You were talking about it as a yin power. Very provocative thought. Maybe we can talk more about that later. What I take from this is that, and I've seen this in my clinical practice too, there are resources people have. And there are deficiencies people have. I see it in my life. I see it in my patients. Of course, I see it in my family. Now, that's a really easy place to look because uh, you're familiar, no pun intended. It's really helpful to know that you've got a strength and, hey, now's a good time to pull that out and use it. And it's really helpful at other times to know, hey, there's a weakness here. And instead of depleting myself further, maybe I need to pull some strength in. It's good to know the character of your resources. I think that's helpful. And I love this idea that there are some things that are medical and we can deal with it medically. And then there's other things. It's like, yeah, you probably do need to quit your job because it's eating your heart. Mm -hmm. And how to know when to do which one, how to know which answer is true. That's tricky. Sounds like Polestar is helpful for this. Sometimes the difficulty someone may be experiencing um, might not be a lack of yin stars <laughs> allowing you to just sit back and receive. Sometimes there's a disrelationship between the chart and the circumstances. Let's see if I can think of an example of a disrelationship between the chart and the circumstances. Okay, sometimes there's a disrelationship between the chart and the circumstances, such as a time when actually I was in clinic with Bob Levine and one of his patients came in and she had this terrible eczema case. <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. I mean, we all know how difficult eczema can be in clinic, right? <laughs> and she was on all the right herbs and she was getting some results, but they were never really quite sticking. And I'd been working with Bob Levine for a long time and I looked at her chart and I, I thought about, I realized what year she was born. So I realized what animal she was. And I realized that we were in the year of that animal for her, mm -hmm. you know, 
And I was like, okay, so she's probably feeling pushed to the brink because the external environment is, has so much, I think it was rooster year, has so much rooster energy. And she had so much rooster energy, but she hadn't like actualized a certain thing. So for her, it was more of a case of, of being caught between social conditions and her chart. So this woman was late 40s and she'd been a career woman, but she was having this whole culturally inherited experience of subtle shame around, well, why didn't I get married and have a family? Even though it was a very clear and conscious choice that she felt very happy about on one level. But on another level, she was taking in all this social toxicity around not being enough as a woman. And she was kind of in this perimenopausal place of, well, gosh, it really is too late, you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember chatting with her about her chart and what came up for her in feeling caught between career and family. She kind of avoided going ahead and writing the book that she wanted to write. Well, roosters are very smart and discriminating. (laughs) And this was a rooster year, a really good time to put your intellect to work. And so she started working on the book <laughs> and her eczema got better. <laughs> you know what I mean? So of course the medical care that she was receiving was excellent. She still needed the medical care. She still needed the support, but it wasn't just a medical issue. And so that was a case where it was young power. It was go ahead and engage. And, you know, I just character can't be underestimated. If if you have a, a very strong chart for being out in the world, but it's 1950s and you're a woman and you're in the Midwest and you're stuck at home with small children, that can create a tremendous amount of pressure and frustration, difficulty. Whereas if you're like a dragon, whereas perhaps if you're a rabbit, you just might convert that into networking with the community. <laughs> so there are always ways. I mean, these, these examples are kind of, um, the last two examples I gave were just sort of caricatures. The other one was a, is a real case where someone was able to make a, a pretty easy change, easy in that, you know, didn't require any great amount of resources. She was just able to like sit down, make a decision and start to plod forward on her dreams. But she was feeling that difficulty and feeling empowered to do so. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews 2024. 
click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at Anne Cecil Sturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. So it really helps when we know who we are in the circumstance in which we find ourselves. That's like two points working in our favor. Mm-hmm. Who am I in this situation? Can you tell us a bit more about the architecture of the pole story? You were referring to, I think you said palaces. I know in Western astrology, they talk about houses, talking about palaces. And you were talking about the palace of uh, travel, also being the palace of work. Loved that perspective that at one point in time, a lot of energy in the palace of travel is the exile chart. Ooh, bad juju. (laughs) Another point in time, it's like, ooh, world traveler, lucky you. And it also makes me think too, I think about, oh, you know, exile, oh, too bad for them, bad deal. It's like, well, actually maybe great deal, traveler, new experience. Outside the realm of what you grew in also is a tremendous opportunity you know, for learning and expression and all kinds of things. So I suspect that exile versus travel, yes, it has something to do with the times, but it also carries both of those energies. Even if you're delighted to be traveling all over the place, you might miss home a bit at some point. So all of that's in the mix. So, so tell us more about the palaces. What are we looking at? So we're still looking at 12 houses or palaces. Mm. That, those names are interchangeable. As you would see in Jyotish astrology or Western astrology, their meanings are a little bit different. It's kind of like having 12 slices of that pizza I was talking about mm-hmm. earlier. And one of the things that the sages did when they took all the math from these, these other traditions and reformulated and cooked a Chinese view into, into that math. And it's more math than it is astrology. In fact, Ming would teach us directly to nearly apologize for the, the word astrology. It doesn't really have much of a place in it. He said, this is just more like a certain way of using the abacus. And throughout history, the, the people with the big abacus were the ones who knew stuff that you'd want to know. You know, <laughs> Ming was a strong proponent of the grandmas being great repositories of wisdom and knowing just what food herbs to pull up from what would normally be considered just weeds for a lot of people for nourishing and taking care of basic health. And then at the same time, very high level calculations have their place too. So he would apologize for this idea of it being quote unquote astrology because it's more of a calculation at this point. Yes, they're stars. Yes, they're constellations, but we don't talk about them as such. We talk about them as members of the imperial court. And we're talking about a very high functioning ideal imperial court in which the emperor is truly sitting in the Tao and able to feel the needs of the country and the needs of the people that depend upon him with the full surrender to his role, not the greedy king kind of image of Europe which, of course, us as Americans despise and have rebelled against in our own American history. Yes, but we also have that mythological image of the good king. Yes. Right? We also have the author stories. Yes. And the, you know, the King Arthur legend. So, yes, hierarchy and power, when aligned with the Tao, 
that brings an order that allows the mandate of heaven to flow. Absolutely. And you can take that same structure, and when it's corrupted, oh man, it's a mess. They're both there. Yeah. Mm. So the Chinese chart is using this model for the imperial court mm-hmm. where the role of the emperor is one of service. Yes. Yes. You know, not like beyond personal aspirations or lust or different kinds of greed or, or uh, being pulled strongly by emotional cravings. <laughs> you know? So, and they submitted themselves to the, to the operations of the court, the work of the other ministers in the court on them okay this is what you need to eat today we've picked through your poop <laughs> we've decided that this is the best food for you for the season etc so that you can be one with the Tao. here's a tutor figure coming in these are different characters in the chart that you see so you know there are you're asking about the houses we've got the 12 houses or palaces and then you've got an emperor an empress an oracle a tutor those are the main four stars there are other ones as well and uh, i think one of the the tricks of understanding the chart one of the tricks of the reading is understanding the emphasis the emphasis of those stars make a really big difference tell me those four again those four influences the tutor so you've got the emperor and that's the pinnacle of yang that's your power to do that's like the wherever that lands you got to like engage you got to do something you can't just sit around and wait for it uh, and then you got the empress and that's the yin power where things kind of naturally resolve on their own, gifts are given. And we all have all of these stars, mm-hmm. you know, all, all of the stars, we all have them somewhere. So the Empress is where we're receiving the benefit of the merit of our ancestors or the, our past life actions, depending on how you want to language it, doesn't really matter. Then there's the, the tutor. So knowledge, impeccability, conduct, the oracle where we're kind of half here, half not here, meaning some people learn a great deal through spiritual traditions and get really turned on by them. And other people learn a great deal through playing with their kids or connect spiritually. I mean, connect deeply, learn spiritually through pleasure or through work or through working directly with the land. So the placement of these can show us about that. Are these four influences also associated with the directions by any chance? This is just four of of the stars. I could keep going. I mean, Mm. there's also sun and moon and concubine and all these. It's almost like dollhouse characters to shift metaphor from pizza (laughs) to dollhouse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you've got an emperor and he's standing in the kitchen or the living room, having a more private life or a more public life, that's going to tell us more about the shape of the life. But no matter where all of these stars fall, it's a reconfiguration of the ancestral chi of the overall larger waveform of the family line. Family line sounds really important here. And one of the ways to engage, you know, the main way to engage would be with working directly. If you have the information about your natal chart, then you're working directly with the knowledge of where that, or you don't have to have the knowledge, right? You can also just feel it. You can feel it because it's it's in all of our appetites. You don't have to be dependent on Chinese astrology and no one should try to use astrology to game their life. You're not going to get a leg up <laughs> necessarily by obsessing about all of the intricate details. You can usually just feel exactly where 
where you want to go or if you don't want to go somewhere, that's interesting too, something to look at, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just a reminder for what you kind of already know, but you just need to be reminded of. Yeah. Then we have progressions. So I can remember one year when I was working in clinic and one of my colleagues there was covering another colleague's clinic while they were out of town over the holidays. And at this time, their father suddenly seemed to be dying. He was living in an old folks home and he was kind of food striking and no one could really convince him to eat. It was a pretty serious situation. And I remember that my colleague was just so torn up about it. She was like, was committed to cover this person's practice. Like, can I wait three weeks <laughs> to go after the other practitioner comes home? What do I do with my client load? But this is my father. My father really seems to be dying. He's been ailing for so many years. And now he's not even eating. This is not good. And um, this was around the solstice, around this time of year. And if she'd waited three weeks, it would have been an entirely different year, right? Because of the, the lunar new year mm-hmm. falls usually somewhere mid-January through mid-February is when that, that first lunar new year, moon of the new year arrives. So we took a quick look at her father's chart and her father's chart showed that he had emperor in the house of his own children. So emperor in the house of his own children that's where the power was for him to find life again. So I strongly recommended to her that she get herself back to Kansas <laughs> or wherever, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> get home. All she had to do was walk in the door and he started leaving again. She didn't have to do anything. He just needed to be able to exercise the power of his paternity. And then a couple of weeks later, uh, all the stars moved, the progression shifted. And I think that his emperor went into, I think, marriage or something. And so this friend's mother was able to encourage him to eat. And he did great after that. (laughs) So it's funny, you know, we have the, you know, usually the big picture feeling of the natal chart tells us what we need to know. But also we can dig into the progressions if we get into a really tight spot. Yeah. I've always loved maps. I don't know why. Just always loved maps. Because they help you navigate. They help you see a territory. Of course, the map is not the territory, but the map can be helpful when you're not quite sure where am I and what might be coming up next. Do I keep going in this direction? Or if I want to get to water, should I go should I move in a different direction? So it sounds really helpful that way. I would love to talk with you a bit. This is the Chinese New Year, after all, is the Chinese the Spring Festival. I love it. They call it the Spring Festival. Spring begins at the deepest, coldest moment of winter. Love how the Chinese are so capable of recognizing. Yep, spring's coming. You can't feel it yet, but it's deep in the earth. It's coming. I'd love to talk with you a bit about this upcoming Tiger Year, but before we do that, I'd like to hear a little more about Liu Ming. Now. I don't know a lot about him other than I, some years ago, I kind of binged on some of his lectures. And he always would do a, like a New Year's talk as well that was kind of mind-blowing. It's the only way that I've got to say it. So I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about Liu Ming, the person, and what you felt like you learned from him. And then, and then we can get into talking about the upcoming Tiger Year. And, and do we actually need to buckle up or, or is it going to be, what's it going to be like? 
we'll come up to that in a moment. Tell us a bit about Liu Ming. I feel so grateful to have known Liu Ming. Gosh, I started studying with him. Actually, the very first class I took with him was Chinese pole star astrology at the very, very beginning. And then, of course, I went on to study all kinds of other medicine, dabbled a tiny bit with feng shui, very minimally with him on that, but the medicine, food cures, understanding seasonal qi, because the seasonal qi is so important. Tang shu is what we all, was what most people would use. The emperor would commonly use pole star, but Joe Schmo and normal citizens like you and I, we would use the tang shu. That's really enough, you know, (laughs) to be able to... The tang shu, what's the tang shu? The tang shu meaning the Chinese almanac. Mm. And this actually to step back into your previous question that you had a moment ago about the architecture of the chart and what it tells us about what we are as humans. So we're having this composite experience with no singular soul experience. So it's sort of similar to the way that we see the five spirits in Chinese medicine, the Han and the Po and whatever. Mm -hmm. So like we're this lava lamp with different aspects of ourselves sort of coming forward in, in different moments. So in your pole star chart, your year and hour forms your character, right? So such was born in a dragon year, but they have but a rabbit hour. Wow, that's really different. That forms your character. But the tong shu keeps it moving, right? So every single day is a different animal. Like today, when as we were recording this, it happens to be uh, a yin earth goat day. So earth goat or goat might feel totally different than another animal. I remember... Looming described us as being, quote, whirling chi balls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what you've got is you've got your, your natal year and hour, your character, which is going to feel different and have a different experience of the environmental chi quality hour by hour. And when I say hour, a Chinese moment is a two-hour window of time, right? 9 to 11 is snake hour and then 11 to 1 is horse hour and of course we know from our Chinese medicine that that also associates with a different zong or fu organ so it just never stops the way whether if we have a compatible and harmonious experience with whatever day or whatever hour it is it's going to just shift and feel a little bit different and yet some animals are a little bit more um, stable a little bit more no pun intended a little bit more in the barnyard, Mm. have a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. So Ming really emphasized that you asked about, about Ming. He really emphasized use of the Tongshu and really paying attention to what the conditions are. Same as in Chinese medicine, when we don't really, when we know that we shouldn't eat ice cream if it's midnight on a cloudy day in winter, but maybe if it's noon on a sunny day in summer, it might not be so harmful. So very, very similar. And Ming was such an interesting character. <laughs> when I met him, he would give his New Year's talks just in his loft and there'd be maybe, you know, like 10 people there. <laughs> he was sort of a hermit living in downtown Oakland. But who was he? I don't think anybody really knows. Was he a, a great Dallas master? Or was he a um, historian? Or was he an artist? Was he a comedian? Was he a coyote? <laughs> I've been asked if he was sane. <laughs> mm-hmm. I could see that. I could see that <laughs> as a reasonable question. Sane. Crystal clear. You know, <laughs> that guy, he was hard for people to understand because uh, he would defy 
some of our cultural conditioning around, and I can't even remember him teaching this once, about how he would defy our cultural conditioning around, you know, what you need to be healthy and happy and functioning. He used to talk about how the current psychology of the time said that you were basically broken if you didn't have either a career or a family. <laughs> he would laugh about himself and say, I don't really have either, but I'm doing perfectly fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like my exile chart. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> How did you meet him? Um, I was introduced to him through a yoga teacher that I had who was also studying with him. And this is where you learned your pole star. This is where I learned the pole star, which I never planned to practice. I never wanted to be an astrologer. It just seemed so egotistical. And who would I be to advise anybody about anything, especially something that seems so taboo and woo in our culture? I was studying Chinese pole star astrology simply to understand space and time. I always had more of an interest in in medicine because silly me, I thought that medicine and astrology were distinct, but they're not really. (laughs) Now I understand that. So I studied just to try to understand what the body was, like how does the body, what is the body but a recording of time, but a recording of chi, and how to understand what time and space are, but through looking at astrology and looking at how the above and the below interface, because we live here in this middle world. And that interface, we know from medicine, from Chinese medicine, that that interface is what, that's how we define the human. The human is this composite experience of this interface between above and below. We can't live only above. We can't live only below. We have to live in the middle, but we're informed by both of those. Mm-hmm. So I never um, planned to be an astrologer, but I studied Polestar with him. And then I kind of took a break from that and studied medicine, studied Ayurveda very deeply and went to India and so forth with that. Studied a lot of Jyotish astrology, just also on this project of studying time and space, never with the intention of of practicing. I never could with with Jyotish for sure. But then um, I came back and studied Polestar again with Liu Ming. And then I started doing case studies and I did hundreds of case studies, hundreds of them. And I just was in casual communication with Liu Ming about them and looking at the patterns as they arose. And it wasn't until, well, I was already practicing in clinic with acupuncture and I'd start to see prognosis could be informed by the Polestar chart. You know, it would really help me understand like, okay, when, when do I need to tell this person that it's going to feel better in springtime versus, okay, this is about management and this is about setting expectations and working with your mind. And this is a way to, you know, you know, some injuries and illnesses provide longevity. You know, they, if you've got a bum knee, then, Hey, you don't get drafted for war, you know? (laughs) So these kinds of things could be useful from Polestar. And and it wasn't until actually Bob Levine, another one of my mentors, who finally said, what are you doing? (laughs) You need to go ahead and bring this out a little bit. So it's funny, but there was no like graduation. There was no Mm, (laughs) piece of paper. 
No, 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 there wouldn't be, would there? (laughs) The books are just terrible for it so far. I mean, maybe someone will, hopefully maybe someone will write something good one day. But I'm just grateful that I got it through word of mouth, teacher to student. (laughs) And I love what you just said. Some illnesses provide longevity. So often people come in and they've got a air quotes problem. And it's terrible and I have to get rid of this and this is awful and my life would be okay if not but for this thing. But sometimes that thing is actually kind of helpful for them. It's about having a different relationship with it. Sounds like Polestar would be helpful for that. We would love to emphasize that the Chinese tradition it's advances in medicine. Now we're talking about Chinese medicine mm. from Ming, not, not Polestar, right? That Chinese medicine was so advanced because it stopped looking at health as being this invulnerability project. It stopped looking at medicine as something to provide aggressive sort of titan orientation of strength and endless power and endless progress and endless advance, which is not consistent with the nature of reality. It's what we like in our Western society. It's what we've all imbibed of growing up in these in these Western conditions. You know, that's what we all have been conditioned to think that success is. But this is not what the Chinese were doing. So the Chinese view used to be like that in our medicine, Ming taught. It used to be save the person, give them the strong medicine. Even if the medicine hurts you for a little while, then you'll just sort of patch it back together after. Oh, if you're too weak for the medicine, then you kind of don't even deserve to be alive. This is the more Western medicine subtle connotation. <laughs> you know, if you, if you look at the way treatment is. And in a lot of Western med- you know, biomedical practices, there's sort of this surrendering the being for the clinging to life mm. and not really always knowing how to care whether the, the experience of life is intact. Whereas Chinese medicine noticed, okay, our sensitive members of our population have something to contribute. So instead of creating circumstances where only the the strong deserve to have a voice or to have space, what can we do to support the sensitive ones, the weak ones? And often the sensitive weak ones have good longevity because they can't abuse themselves. They can't take the same strong medicines. They can't have the same strong lifestyle. They're not going to do as well eating takeout every night. They're not going to do well partying with their friends. They're going to go home and go to bed because they just can't. Yep, us introverts. I'm thinking here when you talk about that, the the contribution of the, I'm going to call them the sensitive. I don't like the term weak so much, although it's easy to bring that word in. I think about earlier in the conversation as you were talking about the the true and upright court, so to speak, Mm -hmm. who is manifesting the Tao. And there's room for all those voices and there's room for all these different characters. Every part has a part to play. I think in some ways I've certainly seen this in my practice. Part of my job as a practitioner is is to make sure that my patients are in touch with the different parts that they have that all carry something 
and in touch with them in a friendly way so that they're capable of receiving what those voices have to say. Thank you for that image. It helps me to uh, clarify a bit the, at, at times, odd way that I feel I have of working at times because uh, sometimes I sit with my patients and there's a part of them that is so tender. It's like they're afraid to even let it be seen. In fact, often they will be hiding it. But it'll show up in these ways, and I'll notice it, and I get curious about it. It's like, okay, what's this part have to do with what's going on here? So thank you for that reminder that, that we all have these quieter, more shy parts that do have a voice. And part of our job as healers is to think, help that voice be heard. Makes a lot of sense to me. And character can help with that, too. Ming used to like to talk about how when someone has a, a new child, reading can be helpful for understanding how to parent that child. Mm. So if you have a more sensitive character child, like a a rabbit or a, or a more introverted character, like a snake, then you just let them. You let them hang out and hide under mom's skirt. <laughs> A little longer versus having this one size fits all approach to parenting of shoving them out. Well, they're going to have to learn one way or the other, or just shove them out there into it. Whereas if you've got a tiger or a dragon kid or a certain types of pigs, et cetera, they're just going to go out there. They're just going to go to the playground by themselves. They're like, I don't need you, mom. I got it. I, know, I remember where it is. <laughs> what? You're four. <laughs> you know, I, can, I remember when my son was in elementary school and there was this one kid who just decided to walk home. He was done with school. So he went out the doors and he just walked home. <laughs> and if you talk to any elementary school teacher, they know about the different chi qualities of these different cohorts. And so some of them have greater sensitivity. Some of them are more quiet. Some of them are more aggressive. Some of them are more independent. I'm going to walk on home. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, speaking of tigers, Ooh. Tiger Year begins. We're here. This airs on the Chinese New Year. As we're recording this, it's still very close to the Western New Year. People have been writing me Happy New Year, and I've been thinking, yeah, Tiger Year, maybe we should be writing Buckle Up. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know a lot about Chinese astrology and all this kind of thing. I mean, I, I really do have pretty much a... Uh, Chinese restaurant place, Matt, understanding for the most part. Here we are in a tiger year. I mean, is this going to be like ferocious and brutal? It's a water tiger. Or is that going to be more of an internal kind of energy? Can you give us some glimpses of what the year might be like? I'd love to talk about what the young water tiger year is. Okay. This upcoming tiger year is a water tiger year. It's a young water tiger year. Young water. Okay. So what the Chinese are saying is that there's 12 different types of energy, basically. And if 12 seems too reductionist, <laughs> too generic, too much like cosmopolitan quiz where you circle <laughs> A, enough times that you get the A outcome, you know, it's like, okay, astrology, uh, I don't know, maybe I can see myself enough in tiger because we all can relate to tiger energy. We can relate to all 12 in a way, but then you multiply each of these 12 energies by the five elements. And then suddenly you've got 60 and it becomes a lot less generic. You get a lot more variety. 
And then you got yin and yang as well. Right. And then you've got 120. Yeah. So everyone was born in a different one of these years. This is why 60 is kind of the Chinese century. Mm-hmm. Because then you will have lived through one of each of these animals, each of the elements and animals, but not each of the yin and yang permutations of them. But you will have lived through each of the permutations of the animal. Right. If you live to 128, though, you get to do it all. Yeah, 120, and you've got the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's argument for what the true human lifespan is. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it is. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) All right. So, yang, water, tiger year. Very different from the metal tiger year, which we had last time. This is, again, yang, so it's going to have more of an outward push. Mm -hmm. Tiger energy is very unpredictable. So my prediction is that the tiger year is unpredictable. (laughs) Makes it easy for me. We could just stop talking now. Okay. (laughs) But I could say more. (laughs) So the past couple years have not been exactly predictable. Are you saying we're going to get even more unpredictable? It is possible. It is possible. We could get Mm -hmm. more unpredictable. Well, we've been immersed in an ox year. And so, I mean, I know that there have been a lot of crazy things happening, but we have been plotting through with this new normal everyone keeps talking about, right? Haven't you heard the phrase new normal a million times? I never want to hear that word again. How very ox, this new normal idea. So tiger in general, tiger is very volatile. So volatile, unpredictable energy is like the noun, but this is a water tiger year. So water, same like in Chinese medicine, think about kidney chi, think about the quality of kidney chi that relates to that felt sense of unknowably bottomless, like the like the depths of the ocean, mm. where you just can't you just can't find the bottom of it. Same way you can't find the origin of your ancestry. It just keeps going back and back and back and back and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. So deep is the modifier for the volatile, unpredictable tiger energy this year. Mm-hmm. It's an energetic year. It's a strong year. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Anything in particular that would help someone to prepare or is that based more on 
the kind of person you might be. Horses would have a different sense of this year than, say, roosters. Both and. I mean, we're all immersed in this in this tiger energy, so we all have to try to understand a little bit about what that is. I want to say with the water part of it just for another moment. Mm-hmm. Anytime you apply the water element to any of the 12 animals, you get this incredibly profoundly permeating experience of depth and breadth. So anytime there's a, there's a water animal, that quality of the animal, that character is going to, of the, that character of the chi is going to touch everything. Cause water goes everywhere. Right. Cause water touches everything. So mm-hmm. we'll have access to that. No matter what animal we are, we'll have access to that quality which is very beautiful. It's really a beautiful opportunity. And it goes beyond good and bad attachment and aversion, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tell me more about the beauty of this opportunity of a water tiger. Well, tigers are are world bridgers. They're very visceral. Tiger defines itself based on itself. It doesn't really need to understand the experience of other animals. It's not an animal of the barnyard. It's an animal, it's kind of like, you know, tigers and, and dragons tend to stand out. I would maybe add snakes to that. <laughs> tigers and dragons and snakes, they're not normal. They don't relate to other animals as well. And so tiger doesn't need to define itself according to what's, what's normal or for other animals. So there's really no comparison. And so this brings an incredible strength to the tiger. It's like the tiger's so visceral if it... If there's a feeling of doing this, it'll do this, even if it seems crazy. It doesn't care about crazy. It's not factoring it in. It just feels like it needs to go this way. And it goes that way with tremendous strength and power. The Chinese idea of, of the tiger used in Polestar is talking about the main human predator that the Chinese faced mm-hmm. throughout history. I mean, the Han Dynasty, they almost wiped out almost all of them. These were really, really big, scary animals. So we're going to be dealing with really, really big energy. You know, is it scary or not? <laughs> well, you just and you just said something. <laughs> There's an aspect of the tiger that is also predator. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say like it's big movements, big movements. There's no halfway measure with a tiger. Uh, there's not a halfway measure, but there is like an on-off. Mm. So, and that's actually important for understanding and and important for helping feel okay within this year. And it is going to be different for everybody, depending on the animal that you are, because it can be really depleting for some animals, but there's an on off kind of thing, like the black stripe Ming would talk about black stripe and the orange stripe. So tiger energy is very charismatic, very big, very boom, huge, tremendous energy, out of nowhere, making a huge change. But then the black stripe indicates a need for periodic rest, periodic retreat, like a a complete opportunity to lie down. So tigers can really only be taken down by their own exhaustion or their own incompetence, meaning like carelessness. So none of the other animals can hurt the tiger, but like think about Aesop's Androcles and the lion, the thorn can penetrate the paw Something minuscule can have a devastating effect for the tiger and can just like knock them out, right? And that's a sense of carelessness from not respecting the black stripe. 
So we'll all need to know when to rest and conserve mm-hmm. <laughs> and know when to engage. The tiger symbol is also related to, you know, we think of the Taoist masters like Zhang Daoling, who was famously depicted as riding the tiger. And um, Ming was very careful to, to teach that this meant that he was okay with the uncontrollable qi quality, not because he was stronger than the uncontrollable qi quality, not because he was controlling it. Then it wouldn't be tiger anymore. If it could be controlled, it wouldn't be tiger qi. It would be something else. So there's just an uncontrollable nature of it. And then we can, the lesson from that tends to be, well, is this scary or not? And then what is fear? Mm. (laughs) Are fearful circumstances like always so bad or do they transform quickly like that whirling t-ball we were talking about before? So it's very dynamic and very powerful. Very dynamic. Yeah. With periods of rest and there will be moments of quietude in that. Mm-hmm. And new opportunities coming up from those changes. And that's the riding the uncontrolled energy. Okay. You know, and then the, the black stripe is also about committing to the daily practices that help us stay in touch with what's beneath those vicissitudes of life. Mm-hmm. Ritual activity, for instance, which helps us understand ourselves in relation to that volatile, in relation to that volatile, changeable energy, the uncontrolled energies of the upper and the lower, and harmonize those. Yeah. Are there any animals, and this is a very sort of broad breaststroke question. If it doesn't fit, we can just pass. Are there any animals in particular that tend to be kind of benefited by a tiger year? Some unique opportunities for them, or likewise certain animals that you need to be a little bit more careful this year? There are, definitely. Mm. Horses do great because they love to work. Let's see. It'd probably be easier to just go through them. Okay, let's do. One by one. But first, why don't we take a moment to look at, to understand what the water tiger year is, to understand that it might be useful to look at like what happened in the last water tiger year. Ooh, great idea. Yeah. When was the last water tiger year? <laughs> the last water tiger year was 1962. This was a yin water tiger year. The yang one was, I guess, 1902. And that was a year where we had like a lot of huge leaps Space exploration was huge. That was the year that John Glenn orbited the Earth, the first American to orbit the Earth. Mm-hmm. But not just that. See, this is where it really gets tigery. We tend to remember in history, like the great moments or, you know, <laughs> but also I didn't know this until I started to look at this a little bit in preparation for thinking about tiger stuff. NASA launched and crashed one spacecraft And you know how expensive each one of these things are, right? I mean, that's a tremendous amount of energy output to just have it crash on the surface of the moon. And then there was another one that they launched, which they missed and they lost it. It it went into heliocentric orbit instead of lunar orbit. Oops. (laughs) I know, right? There was the Cuban Missile Crisis, all kinds of changes relating to humanitarian issues like the UN condemned South African apartheid for the first time. That was a big deal. In 1962. Yep. Also, there were like a good five to six countries that achieved independence from colonial rule. Big changes in the way that we do life, like Kmart and Walmart are water tigers. (laughs) 
that's when they happened. And let's see, there were really big storms, which nowadays we hear about all the time, but there were storms that got names. Like there was one called the Columbus Day Storm, which hit the Pacific Northwest. Germany had huge flooding that was very abnormal in these pre-climate change moments. The Beatles got signed, even though they were just babies. In art, protest music, books of protest, change-inspiring kinds of activity in the public sphere. Like uh, James Baldwin was writing, Rachel Carson was advocating for environmental protections. Anne Sexton was writing. So there was like giving voice to deeper, right? The water element, giving voice to those deeper experiences and different experiences. I can see how our current moment is reflective. (laughs) Yeah. Famous tigers would be like Queen Elizabeth II and Beethoven and Marco Polo, Chogyal Namkai Norbu, who's one of my teachers and Ming's, Lady Gaga. Oh, she's a tiger. Fidel Castro. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you can just feel it. She's Mm -hmm. fearless, you know, not afraid to reinvent herself. And Jonas Salk, David Attenborough. Now, those are just tigers, but like famous water tigers would be like Jim Carrey is a good example. You know, like you think you know what an actor is and then you see Jim Carrey. You're like, okay, <laughs> that's really, that's really different. Steve Irwin. Okay. You, you think you know what a naturalist and TV celebrity is. It's like, talk about bridging worlds, right? Like I'm going to go in with those crocodiles or alligators. Mm-hmm. Charles Lindbergh, a whole slew of mobsters were water tigers born in 1902. Ayatollah Khomeini. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting a feel for it. So could we take a moment and go through just a quick glimpse at what each of the uh, other animals, wild and barnyard, might experience? Sure. Or at least be on the lookout for. Sure. This is usually everybody's favorite part because you get to think about, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for me? Right? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. We're all sitting here on pins and needles. (laughs) Okay. So we'll start at the beginning. The rat is the first animal. Rats like to take things apart, even big things. Tiger energy energy is very, very big and consuming. Rats can't really even compute what that scale even is. So it's an incompatible year for the rat, but since they don't really understand it, it's not really that dangerous. It's not going to necessarily hurt them. They just won't really know how to harmonize with it. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a different scale. So it's kind of beyond their ken in a way. Um, So it's just unfamiliar. Let's see. Next would be ox. Oxen are so resilient. They're so big. I mean, they're just a body of so much muscle. And oxen like to just plod along and keep doing what they're doing. They're so persistent. You can't out-persistent an ox. (laughs) So they kind of like don't even really care whether it's ox year or some other year, because they just do what they do, which is continue to plod forward one foot and step in, you know, in front of the other, which is what we've all been in. Mm-hmm. Their marker is predictability. So this will be an unpredictable year, but you know, they might not even notice. <laughs> They're just plodding along. Not the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Now tigers need to use caution. Any animal needs to use caution in its year. Any animal in its own year is going to have the benefit of having the outer chi match the inner chi. And so they can usually get a lot done and um, might feel pushed to the edge, but they're quite capable in that environment. 
because it's harmonious. That being said, tigers, we know they have to rest and respect their black stripe. This is a water tiger year, which of course we know in Chinese medicine relates to winter. So we can all expect winter to be the time that things come to fruition, that things resolve. So the native element of tiger is wood. So there will be a lot of like antsy springtime, let's get out there and do things, energy for all of us in the tiger year because of that native wood energy. But it's good advice for all of us to sort of hang out and wait and play the long game, tigers in particular. So caution in the beginning, in the middle of the year, things come to fruition in the winter. I think that the last tiger year that we had, which was metal tiger, may have been more dangerous for the tiger because of wood and really because of metal in relation to wood on the five element cycle. So this is a water element. So it's kind of mother Mm -hmm. element. More generative for the tiger. More generative. But we also know that water is a time when things kind of resolve and come completely apart. (laughs) Right? So for tigers and for all of us, there's this sense of, okay, if we're going to harmonize with this big water energy, then we have to get really, really big in our view. So wait and rest and retreat are good water element things to do and just take it easy in the springtime. Okay. Respect that black stripe. Yeah. Rabbits. This is the hard one. The next year is for you, rabbit. (laughs) Just try to make it there. (laughs) Uh, It's it's so big and scary for rabbits. Rabbits strength is, is networking. So do that, like hide, know who your family is, know who your friends are, network, hunker down wait, be careful, tend to your health. Dragons have big energy like the tiger, but it's different because they're of the sky. Tigers are like so muscular, like, you know, tigers will take two completely different worlds and be able to smush them together and make a new thing. Dragons can be generative in that way, but it's because they're in touch with this large, like, sky vision. Their vision encompasses every a broad view. So dragons are kind of like, hey, I don't understand why we're being so visceral. I don't understand why we're muscling things so much. Can't we just zoom out? So dragons might not like it for that reason, but it's not dangerous to them. They're just disoriented a little bit. And it sounds like dragons, because they can zoom out, they've got a perspective on the situation. Yeah. On every situation. Ming used to laugh whenever we'd get to the dragon part of a discussion of a year because he'd say, okay, did any of you even come? You don't need any information. Because <laughs> dragons are a supernatural animal. They're a composite animal of, of all the other different ones. The scales of the snake and the wings of the rooster and the claws of the tiger, you know, <laughs> the brawn of the ox mm-hmm. and the agility of the horse. So they kind of already get all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Snake. Well, tigers are so, like I say, visceral and daring that the changes in the uncontrolled, unpredictable energies come from like an immediate kind of impulse an immediate, this is happening. Boom. Huge reaction. This is very different from snake energy. Snakes like to hide. They like to disappear when a snake needs to hunt. 
it will wait and watch and wait and watch and wait and watch and then act very powerfully. Tigers like to hide in the tall grass too, but they're functioning in just a different kind of way. They're enormous. It's just different. So snakes just keep hiding. You already are really good at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it can be difficult if they don't. Horses are able to take this in stride. They're so strong. They're muscle bound like the ox, but unlike the ox, they don't plod in the same direction. They're very flexible. They're very agile and they're ready to work on whatever's coming up, whether it's good fortune or adversity. So they love to overwork. So tiger's energy, even though it's bigger than the rest of the barnyard, which is where the horse lives, it's still okay for them. So horses can use that energy to some degree. They're flexible and adaptable and agile. I heard you use the word agile with the horse. Yeah. They'll be able to just look at what's happening and go, okay, this is horribly destructive. So let's fix it. Or, oh, this is so awesome. We made a huge improvement. So now we know what to do. All right. So those practical horse people will be helpful in getting us through this. Yeah, it's, it's practical. Mm-hmm. Next is goat. So the goat has brought a lot of change and even success for the last couple years for goats. So it's important for goats to remember that that's related to the last couple years. And so it's not going to keep dramatically changing for them or not in a willful way. Like the external circumstances may change things for them as it will for all of us because of the uncontrolled nature of tiger. But goats just need to stay steady with what they've recently figured out over the past couple of years and stick with it and they'll do well. I mean, goats are kind of prey animals, not as much as monkeys, but <laughs> they know how to work with what they've just accomplished and can keep refining that and just stick with that. Okay. Keep doing what you're doing, goats. Yeah. Yeah. Monkey. Whew. So the monkey understands itself by playing at what it isn't. You know, the monkey is the great mimic. Monkeys love to... Um, act like this, act like that, climb up into the tree and call like a bird, dip down and tease the crocodile or the alligator down in the water. Here I am. They disorient others. And it's a big joke for the monkey. But tiger energy is more blunt and straightforward. Tigers are so strong that they don't really need to manipulate or hide what they are or why they're doing it. They're so independent that they don't really care if you disagree. They don't care. They don't feel like they need to provide their reasons <laughs> for why they're doing what they're doing. They just do it. And tiger also lacks that predictable baseline that the monkey operates its discovery process on. So monkey feels really destabilized in a tiger year. Mm -hmm. So be careful with your antics. Yeah. Tigers eat monkeys. Tigers eat monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> So just take things lightly, I think, would be the main thing to do for tigers. Whatever you're working on, don't try to set it up as a brand new, big, grand thing that's going to stick. Like, just let it be more light play because that can kind of protect the monkey from the extreme disappointment of things not working out. Practice detachment. If you're going to do something, do it and be, be willing for it to 
change, be willing for it to not stick. Mm-hmm. Not a great year for great big new grand schemes. Not ones you're attached to. I mean, mm. there are other kinds of great big grand schemes that could be great for a monkey, like uh, travel, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. where you're just taking it day by day. <laughs> okay. Thanks for that distinction. That's helpful. Yeah. Rooster is a very different energy from tiger, but it's complementary. Boy, some of my most interesting clients. Complementary to tiger. Well, yeah, because you think like tiger crane mythology. Oh, okay. Yeah. Rooster doesn't really mean rooster. Rooster means bird. Mm-hmm. It means... Or sometimes phoenix. Crane. Yeah. Actually, he said not... He said not he so much? He specifically no. said not, no, not this not phoenix. redefining itself phoenix thing. That's not what the Chinese meant. It's more of like that bird energy. It's about that, the beak and the precision, Mm. you know, it's about this tiny body underneath all these big feathers that make it look really big and grand. And this desire to like, tell you about it, cock-a-doodle-doo, you know, (laughs) and this ability to look at all of the sand and dirt in the yard and go, ah, that exact one little pebble, that's the one I want in my gullet. It's going to make me feel so great, digest so well. You know, it's a the rooster bird energy has a very discriminating ability. And that's also how it fights, like cockfights. They know just where to get in, timing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's intelligence. So tiger year has strength that the rooster doesn't have. But it has precision and grace that the tiger doesn't have. So rooster can take that heavy quality of tiger and bring lightness the rooster will be okay. Okay. Sounds like a, it sounds like it would be beneficial for rooster in a way. It's some gas in the tank. Yeah. Dog. So dogs are the loyalty figure in a very predictable realm, a very predictable barnyard realm. And the tiger is not controllable or predictable. So dogs feel very confused by that energy. So it'll be a challenging year for dogs. They should like get with their pack and you know whatever support that they've got. Lean on that. Dogs do need to know who or what they're loyal to. Mm. Whether it's family or whether it's a particular view or philosophy or group, that's where dogs are going to find strength. So know your loyalties and lean on them this year. Because the year won't be loyal back. <laughs> It's it's not a good year for predictable returns, mm. <laughs> but it's not all tragedy, you know? No. So pig is very pleasure driven. We're not talking about the gluttonous image that our society teaches. Think strong, think like boar. Mm. Uh-huh. So pigs are strong, almost as strong as the tiger in some ways. They can show us how to appreciate the little things through this year. So even if there's something devastating going on, which seems like these days, I mean, even, even here we are in Ox year, something devastating every year that pigs will, or every, every other day, the pigs will remind us how to just kind of like sit down and enjoy dinner, (laughs) sit down and appreciate the view from the window. (laughs) So if you've got a friend who's a pig, make sure that you're hanging with that friend a bit. They'll help keep you uh, sort of centered and grounded and appreciative. Yeah. 
pigs can be sort of um, surface in that way in comparison to maybe some of the other animals, like the intuitiveness of the rabbit or the intellectual refinement of the rooster. But it's really quite a deep teaching that the pig offers us. I don't know, after the past year or so, I, I think having a few more pigs in my life might be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Anne, thank you so much for giving us your thoughts on the upcoming tiger year and, and what all us different critters might expect from that. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we wind it down for today? I'm just grateful to be here. And I think that the key for all of these animals in this next year is really going to be relaxation. And relaxation can look different ways for different animals. Relaxation can look like different activities. Sometimes the best rest is a change of activity, mm. but finding the way to flow with these various energies is the key. Okay. And we're going to have plenty of different and wild energies with the tiger. So uh, good thing it's water, right? Water inherently wants to flow anyway. We can lean on that a little bit, can't we? Yes. Wonderful. Well, I thank you so much for your time today, and I have a billion more questions about Polestar, but maybe we can uh, take that offline at some point, or I could ask you about that. Do you do consultations for people with this? Is this part of your work? I do. I do natal astrology readings and also progressions to look at the changing factors year by year and, and decade by decade, in addition to my acupuncture practice. So I have Polestar clients all over the world and some of my acupuncture patients utilize it as well. It's a great tool. Fantastic. I'll make sure to get all your contact information. We'll put it up on the uh, website. Y'all can go to the uh, show notes page and get in touch with Anne if you're interested. Again, thank you so much. I hope you have a fantastic tiger year. Thank you. Same to you, Michael. After the podcast conversation, Anne and I talked a bit more, and I'd like to share some more of her thoughts concerning fear in the tiger year. The enormity of the tiger year, especially a water element one, cannot be overstated. Although we have discussed the ways that the chi of this year may be daunting, the pole star astrology teaching is very clear. Revolutionary change or even catastrophe can be a wonderful opportunity. Few would contest that being charged by a big cat is terrifying. However, Polestar Astrology teaches that catastrophic, uncontrolled energies provide opportunities that go beyond our habituated responses. The chi of the tiger year is suffused with this type of unusual, uncontrolled energy. We can access that and use it. Is the tiger year scary? Yeah, uh, maybe sometimes. And that's okay, especially for some of the characters, the Chinese Zodiac. But it is important to remember that fear is not the only available response to the chi of the year. Habituated emotional responses, such as negativity, are subtle choices that we make because we unconsciously believe we are 
gaining something from them. In a tiger year, we can interrupt that pattern. Externally, we can accept the uncontrollable nature of the world around us, the way Dallas masters like Zhang Daoling demonstrated. Internally, we can set our inner compass to true north with our personal cultivation practices like meditation, self-care, and study. Together, these two approaches can drop us into a state of grounded spontaneity with which we will be well prepared to utilize the tiger year. I got to tell you, I got a pal in Taiwan who's a Swanming Shensheng. He's a fortune teller, as they would say there, but his forte is not telling the future, but rather, to some degree, seeing how the past is unfolding in the present. I thought about him when Anne said that character dictates how someone meets their destiny. And that makes me think, too, about sailing and how you are constantly meeting waves as you go. The steadiness or wobble has to do with how you meet and steer through each wave. The waves are endless. How we approach them does indeed make all the difference. All right, friends. I hope you all have a healthy and prosperous year of the tiger. If you need to dial up some fierceness, well, it's all around us, so dip in. I'm thinking this tiger year could help put some wind in the sails of some projects that I've had simmering. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.